things this morning. I will ask uh, certain people to stand up and please remain standing. If you are a teacher or have been a teacher, would you please stand and stay standing? If you're a teacher or have been a teacher. If you teach at home, that's a, you're a teacher. If you're a father, you need to please stand up. If you're a mother, you please stand up. If you know Jesus as your Savior, would you please stand up? Oh, that's just about everybody. Look around you. Every one of you are priests and teachers in your calling and in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, may be seated. Thank you. What we're looking at this morning is what the uh, Reformation leaders called the priesthood of all believers. It wasn't an original thought with them. It's a very biblical foundational one. And so because of what Christ has done for us and the way that he has led us, we are all called to be priests and teachers. In Exodus 19, when God was um, at Mount Sinai instituting Israel as the new people of God, he said that they were to be to him a kingdom of priests, offering, ministering to him and offering up sacrifices pleasing to God. Peter, writing to the church many years later, says that now we are a royal priesthood. And in the book of Revelation, three different times it emphasizes that we are called to be priests and ministers of the Lord. So that includes us all. And what does that mean? Um, in the book of Nehemiah, after they had returned from captivity, one of these guys who was um, such a powerful, influential man, and among Jewish scholars and theologians, he's second only to Moses. And we don't hear much about him uh, in, the New in the New Testament churches too much. Uh, Christian churches don't talk too much about him, but his name was Ezra. And he was an incredibly uh, gifted and called man. He um, helped start the synagogue. He helped in the getting together of all the scriptures for the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. So all of us are indebted to Ezra this morning, whether we realize it or not. <clears throat> and it said that um, when Ezra came back from captivity, he came as a priest and he came with the authority of the Persian Empire. He would be almost like you would call the Secretary of State for Jewish Affairs. Um, and he had a very powerful and high position. And what he did, one of the things that they did was they gathered everybody together in the whole country and they publicly read the law in Jerusalem. First time that that had been done for a long, long time. And as he read, the people wept because they realized the standards of God and what he expected of them and where they were. But one of the things that in Nehemiah chapter 8 <clears throat> that it talks about is that um, what they did, because there was all these people there, they built a platform 
And he stood on, Ezra stood on the platform, and he wasn't the first one to do this. Solomon had done this um, at the dedication of the, of the first temple. And they built a platform, and, and they stood on it so people could see them. And when Ezra stood up to read, he pulls the scriptures out, and everybody stands up out of respect and reverence for the Lord. Some of the liturgical churches even now, when they read the gospel, the congregation stands. And, but that's what they did in, back in the book of Ezra. <clears throat> but as he read, um, because there was all these people, they didn't have microphones or anything like that, as he read, it lists the names in Nehemiah chapter 8. And it lists the names of all these Levites. And these Levites are the priests. And they were scattered out among all the congregation. And in verse 7 and 8 of Nehemiah chapter 8, after giving some of their names, it says, These Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the, the Levites, the priests, and we're all priests, they took the word of God and they put it in words and helped other people understand the meaning so that they would understand what the will of God was. And uh, in the book of Malachi, an even greater description of part of the priest's duties, of course they were associated with the sacrifices and all of those kinds of things, but it went way far beyond that. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, and God is speaking through Malachi, and he says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi, he was the, the leaders of the, um, of the Levites, and um, Moses and Aaron and um, Miriam, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, they were all Levites, or descendants of Levi. So that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him, God's covenant with Levi and his household of priests, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's every one of you this morning. So how are we doing? Uh, words of wisdom and knowledge coming from us, uh, living a life of peace, God blessing us with his life and with peace. Do we fear God in that way with a proper respect and reverence for him? And do people see it in our life? So in Deuteronomy, there are several passages, but I want to read the one in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. And again, he's giving us authority and a power as priests of the living God. And that's what we're called to be. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. 
At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to Him, to minister to God, and to bless in His name to this day. So, priesthood of all believers means that we are to stand in the presence of the Lord. And then we are to bless in His name. He's given us the authority and the power because that's His calling to us to be able to confer the blessing of the name of the Lord on people around us. So how are we doing? Are we being a blessing? Are we standing in the presence of the Lord and out of that blessing to take that to the people around us in our homes, in our jobs, um, in the daily activities that we, that we take place with and our, with our friends, when we're having fun and doing neat things, where are we in this as priests and Levites? Because that is our calling. So it goes like this. This is from Psalm 129, verse 8. And I will represent us this morning. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Now that's what we are called upon to do for one another. When we think of one another, when we talk about one another, are we placing the name of the Lord on those that we talk about? And what are we saying? And what kind of spirit is it that's motivating us? Boaz, in the book of Ruth, was a landowner and a farmer. And he went out uh, during the harvest, and all of his laborers were out there working in the harvest. And Boaz, the landowner, he gets out and he works with them. And as he rides up to them, he sees them and he says, The Lord be with you. And all of his workers turn around and say, The Lord bless you. What would our jobs be if that was the greeting that we got every morning when we came to work? You walk in to work, the Lord bless you. Right for the beginning of the day, man. And then we can respond, and the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. That's what we're called to do. So the priesthood of all believers. Paul, when he was writing to the church at Rome, in Romans 15, 29, he said, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. It's an amazing statement, isn't it? When I come to you, I will come with the fullness of the blessing of Christ. When you go to see people, what do you go with? What are you full of when you go to uh, see people? Because... As we know, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the mouth is telling everybody around us what's inside our heart. What are we full of? And some of us are full of things that aren't so nice. So it's out of the overflow and the blessing that the Lord gives. So uh, kind of what does this look like? I want us to look in Luke chapter 6. We'll take Luke's version. There's a... The one that we're most familiar with probably is in Matthew 5. These are the Beatitudes. And the whole point about the Beatitudes is they are supposed to be attitudes. <laughs> These are the attitudes that we're supposed to, to live out, right? That's what we are to embody these things. 
And the thing about these Beatitudes is that they're all blessings. Um, I think I will look in Matthew 5. His is a little more extensive, but we'll come back to Luke in just a minute. So Luke 5 said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people who are poor in spirit. Very different from the arrogance and the haughtiness that we see around us, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it talks about a, a book being kept of those who mourn over sin in their country. In the Old Testament, that's how it speaks. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What do you hunger for? What is the longing of your heart? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the ones who are, will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. We were talking about the vision of God last week. Uh, here it is again. Pure in heart. Focused. These are the, the commandments of God, right? The first two are the, the ones that fulfill everything. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This becomes the focus, the pure in heart, and we see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice it doesn't say peacekeepers. It's one thing to keep the peace. It's another thing to make the peace actively pursuing it and engaging others to participate. Bless those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on there and expands this one. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Luke, right after he talks about the Beatitudes, in chapter 6, verse 27, he says to the disciples, I say to you who hear, and this was a very large, large crowd of people who had gathered to hear this, the Sermon on the Mount. This I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 1 Peter chapter 3, he's talking to the early church that was suffering persecution. Peter himself was going to be executed by the government, as was Paul, both of whom uh, counseled Christians to honor the leaders of the country, political leaders, and Nero was the emperor at this time, um, but you honor the office and respect for it, and you honor the law, and become good citizens. 
Peter also adds this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. And so his counsel is, he's going to say later on, that we should follow in the steps of Jesus, who when he was reviled, even on the cross, did not curse. So when people curse you or say untrue things about you, when people drag your name through the mud, even when you've done the right thing, what is our response? New Testament, consistently, from Jesus through the apostles, is we need to pray for them and we need to bless. We are not people who curse. We are a blessed people. Romans chapter 12 also gives the summary of what it means to walk with the Lord and to live this kind of life, to be the priest and the teachers. It's not what we say so much as what we do. And the thing about Ezra, if you read about his life, it says he determined in his heart to study the word, the law, the law of God, to study the law of God, to do it, and to teach others. That was his goal as a man of God in a pagan society and culture. Study the word of God, do it, and then teach others. Sounds very New Testament. Sounds like Paul's advice to Timothy. Search out faithful people who are able to instruct others. Ezra was that kind of a person. And we're called as priests and teachers to do that. And in chapter 12 of Romans, uh, the, the end of the summary of that, as he talks about verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And then at the very end, he talks about not giving, not taking vengeance. And the very last thing he says in chapter 12 is verse 21. This is the result, this is the fruit, this is the consequence of this kind of lifestyle. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's the only way evil can overcome, can be overcome. So you can never overcome evil with evil that's more powerful. It doesn't work that way. The end never justifies the means. So we can justify anything that we want. So in the Beatitudes, as we, as we saw that in chapter 5 of Matthew, these are things that we were supposed to be. And what that means is, I don't know if you, if you caught it down there, at the very end, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, he says, when people are persecuting you and uh, because of Christ's sake and are saying all kinds of evil against them falsely for the Lord's sake, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Because people who are blessed, people listed there in the Beatitudes, people like the, the priesthood, the Levites, who were in the presence of the Lord and then called upon to bless in His name, these people are living prophetically. So that's why 
He says, rejoice because they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And people who are living a blessed life are living prophetic lives. And what I mean by that is as we read through particularly people like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Apostle John in the New Testament, they're called upon to eat the word of God, to take it into themselves, to make it a part of their life, to draw their strength, their life, their health from God's word. Jesus, uh, God told the people of Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God shall man live. You know, all the food in the world sitting on the plate is not going to help you at all. It will not help you. It only helps you if you take it in and it becomes a part of your, of your life. It's only when you take it in that that food becomes life and strength and health to you. So the book on the shelf, it does no good. It's a dust collector. Even the word in the mind, uh, that's okay. But if you can sit there and think about food all day long and you're going to be hungry and you're not going to be filled, no matter how much you think about food, you can starve to death. It's only when you take it in. So they used to say, um, like chewing your food without swallowing is like studying the Word of God without putting it into practice. So it's taking it in. So people who are blessed are living prophetic lives because they are embodying the Word of God. There's a technical word for that, and we usually associate it with Jesus. It's called the incarnation. The Word became flesh. But if Christ is living in your heart, then He will be incarnate in you, the Word of Christ. If Jesus is living in our hearts, the life of Christ will be seen in us. The, the life of Christ will be incarnate in you and me. The Word made flesh in your flesh and in mine. Now, we use the flesh for different things, don't we? But this is our calling as priests before God. What is the result of that? So we just read about being priests and being, having this prophetic ministry in verse 12 of Matthew 5. Verse 13, if we are blessed people, if we are living prophetic lives, if the word of God is becoming incarnate in us because of the living presence of Christ, you are the salt of the earth, he says. And then he continues in verse 14. You are the light of the world. It's not you and me. It's Christ in us. But if he is in us and we are living out that relationship, then we become salt and light to all the people around us. Now, what this, this is the outworking of the initial call of God to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. So Abraham started out in Ur of the Chaldees. He was a Babylonian. Isn't that interesting? Who's going to destroy Israel later on? Babylon. In the book of Revelation, what's the epitome of the Antichrist and everything around him? Babylon. It's out of that that Abraham came because God called him out and made him a different man. So he lived in a world like ours. And in a world like ours, the word of God came to him 
And Abraham responded to it. So the Lord says to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. That's why we don't have to. If we are walking with God, receiving his blessings and being instruments of his blessings to others and other people curse and persecute and abuse us, it's not our responsibility. God will take care of them and sort them out. We don't have to do that. And when we take it upon ourselves to do that, it's because it's a lack of faith. God, I don't believe you're going to sort them out, so I'm going to have to do it. You can't do it without me, God, but he can. And he does a whole lot better job than when we interfere. So he says, I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing and you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What happens when we receive the blessings of God? If we're not arrogant and presumptuous and try to use and manipulate the very gifts of God like most of us do, if we receive the blessing of God in the way that God gives it to us, it changes us. We are changed people. And then because God changes us through the blessings of His presence and grace, it's through the overflow of that blessing upon us that other people are changed. So we receive the blessing of God and then we become a prophetic witness and then we become salt and light to the people around us and we become conduits of God's grace and mercy his peace, his joy, his hope, his security, his love, his forgiveness. We become conduits of those things. We see examples of it. You know, that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? And we think, man, that's such a high calling, nobody could ever live that way. But they have. People just like you and me. They've lived that way. You remember Joseph in Egypt. Uh, Sold, betrayed by his own brothers into slavery. Uh, written off as dead. And as a slave in a foreign country where no one knew or cared about him, God was with him. And God prospered him in slavery. And you think, man, it can't get much worse than that. Well, it did. So from being a slave, he was accused of a crime he didn't commit and sent to prison. He hadn't even done anything wrong. Matter of fact, he took the right proper stand and stood up for his moral integrity as a person and refused to compromise with the pressures of society around him and people in powerful positions that had control over him. He refused to compromise his personal integrity. And he went to prison for it. And he had done everything right. And he was in there for many years. And he helped people in prison. And he said, when you get out, remember me. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. And they got out and promptly forgot him. He left, he left him in there another two years. <laughs> but God was with him. And then he brought him out, set him over Egypt with only Pharaoh, more powerful than he. And all of Egypt was blessed because of Joseph. Joseph. 
And it went way beyond that because this was a, a widespread famine all through the Middle East. And people from all these countries were coming to get food and help. And where did they get it from? From the hand of Joseph. And so all these nations around them were being blessed because one man was faithful to God. He took the blessings of God. He incarnated that blessing. And then he became a blessing and fulfilled the calling of God on his life. He was a man just like you and I. Ordinary person. He wasn't perfect, but God used him in such a powerful way. We could go on, people like Moses, people like David, um, the saints of the Old Testament, people like Ruth, people like Esther, men and women, people like Miriam, New Testament, full of people like this. Most of the people that were like this, their names don't get mentioned. Don't know who they were. But it is a countless, innumerable host of people who have gone before us and lived this lifestyle. That's why you and I are here this morning. Because of their faithfulness through the hundreds and thousands of years that have passed. Because they are living testimonies. This is what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. These are the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, showing that God is faithful and true. And so as living prophets, as living priests, as living teachers, this is our calling as the people of God. And this is the blessing that is ours. So the blessing of the Lord be upon you. And I bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, as we go to communion this morning, um, it continues even, even through our communion, doesn't it? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and um, Corinth was a rip-roaring seaport town. I mean, it, was, it was like uh, uh, Las Vegas and New Orleans and all the other places like that rolled into one and, and more. Uh, it was a happening place and if you wanted any kind of sin that you can think of or imagine and a whole lot that you can't you could find it readily available at Corinth and there was a, a, a church there and the church was filled with people who had come out of that kind of lifestyles all kinds of people and they had difficulties <laughs> in the church at Corinth a lot of difficulties but this is what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That's idolatry in all of its forms. It begins with the letter I, idolatry, because that's where all of our idolatry starts with, right here. It's idolatry. And he says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ it's not just juice it's a participation in the blood of Christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ so through these symbols we are every Sunday morning when we participate in communion, it's a reminder that we are to participate in the life of Christ himself, that he might be incarnate within us 
that we might fulfill our calling as priests and teachers, that we might live prophetic lives, blessing and being blessed, being salt and light to those around us. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. That's what binds us together because we are very different people, even the small group in this room. We are very different people. All different places, all different backgrounds, all different histories, economic, race, all, gender, all these. We're all, that's it, right here in this room. We are all one body in Christ. He is the one who draws us together. He is the one who binds us together through his Holy Spirit and his presence in us. So I invite you in the name of Jesus, participate in the blessing, participate in the incarnation, participate in the relationship. Jesus called the disciples for two reasons. He called them to be with him, to spend time in his presence and to go forth. That's what we do every Sunday, isn't it? We gather here to spend time in the presence of the Lord and when we leave, we go out taking his presence with us wherever we go. So all of this is possible and the blessing comes through the blessing of Jesus Christ. It was because on the night that he was betrayed, our failures, they don't hinder the blessing of God. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, it's broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. A new covenant, a new relationship, a living relationship with God himself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he calls upon us to come and receive that blessing and then be bread and wine to the people around us so that they also might participate. So those who are serving communion, please come forward.